0: Uh, our reading this evening comes from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5. Uh, I'm afraid I've made life easy for myself with a large print Bible, so I don't know what the page number is. Um, it comes just after Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read verses 21 to 33, Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all no one ever hated his own body but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the Church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So, good evening, everybody. Um, As Eddie said, um, I'm going to kick off because we're actually following the pattern of our passage for this evening, which starts with submission, has a big chunk in the middle about love, and ends with the wife respecting her husband. So, surprisingly not, I shall talk about submission Um, and Louis is going to talk about love. But before we start, I want to make a few general points that are applicable um, to what we're all going to say. I feel like I'm getting an echo here. Let's just move that a minute. I really, first of all, want want to echo what Eddie said. This is not an easy topic, um, and it's not an easy topic in a very mixed congregation. We're very aware that there are some people here who are married, some people who may be divorced or separated, some people for whom Marriage is a longing, and others for whom marriage is definitely not on the radar. Some are widowed, and it is we speak out of an awareness of that, but we are speaking to a biblical principle of marriage. And in so doing, I think Louis and I were both aware how very countercultural this passage is. Um you would not hear this being spoken of. Submission, headship, authority in a secular environment. I mean, they would probably tell you you were politically not correct and hound you out. Um, and yet this is God's word and it is a word for us and it is really important that as Christians we understand what God is saying about marriage. So this is not going to be a kind of a a talk about lots of great tips about a happy marriage. Um, You know, maybe other opportunities for that. Um, It is, however, going to be a talk on what we believe is the foundation of a happy marriage. And there's a slight distinction there. So the other kind of general point is just to say Louis and I were once young, once upon a time. Um, though we stand here now as one of the uh older perhaps members of the congregation, once upon a time uh I was trying to find a photograph and I didn't have one digitally. You know, we had four small children and I've just noticed one of them is here, except she's not a small child anymore. Um we had four small children. And we lived, I had four children in six years, and we lived in all the chaos and the pressure on marriage that that brings. But what we can stand here today and really testify to is the blessings and the real challenges of attempting to live out the passage that we've just read. Um, And that's because we've been working on it for over 40 years. It didn't just happen. Neither of us was raised within a church situation that spoke about marriage. We had no teaching on what it looked like. And although my own parents were happily married, they came from a generation that was very private about personal matters. So we really began to get to grips with this about three years into our own marriage. And the third kind of general point is that although this is a talk on husbands and wives, it comes from the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians was written to the whole church. It was not just, oh, excuse me, you lot who are married, could you just go into that room and I have something specifically to say to you? It was written to the whole body, the whole church. And it's important we believe that we hear what God has to say about families, about marriage, about being single for the Lord, about work life, employment, that we all hear it so that we can support each other in whatever calling it is God has called us to. So, submission. First of all our reading starts with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That sits underneath everything. We as sons and daughters of God, all of us here, who have yielded to the love of God through salvation in Christ Jesus, are being called to submit to one another. Now that's not so hard, is it? We are being all of us called to submit to one another. But there is a particular way in which that is being worked out in marriage. So, like many young women getting married, I had no idea what submission meant. And I was pretty sure that no man, just because he was a man, was going to tell me what to do. It just was not going to happen. I was not about to become a meek and mild doormat. As Christians, I knew we're called to stand against oppression and injustice. And surely submission to your husband is simply another form of oppression. Wrong. Real submission, as I have come to learn and really value, is not the meekness of oppression. But a choice, a decision to harness our will to the will of God. And for me, actually, the challenge was submission per se, yet alone, yet alone to my husband. I was a child of the 60s and rebellion was in the air and I grew up in an era where there was entitlement and freedom. Um, and I grew up really in a what we used to call low Anglican church where there was more preach on what not to do than on the love of God so my challenge initially was to submit to God's love to really grasp the enormity of his love when Paul speaks of submission in Ephesians, when it is fully understood, he speaks of liberation, he speaks a message of freedom. And it is a message of God's divine provision for those men and women who are called to marriage. It brings peace and order into the potentially chaotic life of two people. But it's not a peace and order based on dominance and subservience but a peace and order based on both husband and wife choosing to be submitted together as one before God. I say that now with absolute conviction and confidence. But in my late 20s, it wasn't so easy. The submission that Paul speaks of is to do with something far bigger than marriage as we've gone through Ephesians, Paul reminds us of all that God has done for us. And in this part of Ephesians, we read how to apply that grace, that mercy, that divine revelation of his love for us into our ordinary everyday living. And you know, in marriage we learn it can't be a free-for-all. It's as simple as that. Um, God who put the stars in space, who divided day from night, is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And his divine order needs to be seen in ordinary, everyday lives. That is, I believe that is part of our mission for those of us called to marriage, but actually for those of us called to submit our lives to Christ Jesus, what we're saying to the world is actually, it's not chaos out there. There is an order, there is a godly order as to how to live your lives. Please don't imagine that I simply agreed with everything Louis said and said yes to him in everything, because I didn't. But what I did say yes to was a real conviction that firstly I was called to live according to God's will in my life and secondly I was called to live it within my marriage. I am called to submit my life to Christ and within my marriage I am called to submit my life to my husband. I say that with confidence, with joy and I really mean it. And that is not a cop-out, it is a command, an outworking of my relationship with God. A response to his outpouring of love for me. Louis will say more about this, but imagine, if you will, that marriage is like a visual aid to Jesus' relationship to the church. And submission is the natural response of the sacrifice of love. And as a wife, I have learnt that my greatest task is to submit myself to being loved. I really want, perhaps, well, all of us to hear that, because actually it's a message for all of us. But as wives, it is to submit ourselves to being loved. Now, the caveat to that, and I'll remind us of that caveat... Is that this is about two people who have chosen to submit to one another in love. Um, that's the caveat. So, why is submission so hard? I think submission is partly very hard because it's a breaking of our will. <laughs> it's, I wanna do it this way, this is my choice. And one of the things that submission has taught me is there's a real difference between things that are fundamentally right and wrong and something that is simply my preference. I do feel really strongly, and Louis would concur with that, that no woman should be in submission to a husband who calls her away from God's will including all forms of abuse or illegal activity. I think that's a given. I you can disagree with me but frankly <laughs> that for me is an absolute given. But a preference is simply a preference. And somebody has got to make a decision. And the thing that made it easier for me is that we were both genuinely seeking to follow God. And the honest answer is, and, you know, Louis and I talked about this over the years, particularly our early life as a married couple, even if I didn't always trust that Louis would get it right, I did trust that God would make it right in the end. But the principle was that... (coughs) Being right was not as important as having peace within the marriage. Getting my own way, even if I thought it was the better idea, was not as important as peace in the marriage. Long before I understood that in Greek the word submission is linked to order, I could see that death to a marriage is jostling for position, a power struggle, bickering over silly things that comes out of both of us wanting our own way. And in the early years of a marriage, I think there is that kind of glow of not wanting to upset the other. Oh, I don't want to upset them, so I'll say yes. But gradually something builds up, and you think... Darn it, I no, And then it all starts to explode. And that's a very negative reason for submitting. As John Stott put it, submission is a humble is humble recognition of the divine ordering of society. Submission within a Christian marriage, I don't believe, diminishes me as a woman. And, you know, I said this to Eddie, and he laughed. I said, Eddie, you know, I'm not a pushover. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. No, I'm not. I have a strong will. I've held senior positions. I am a perfectly competent individual. But I still believe that submission within a Christian marriage does not diminish me as a woman. Rather, it frees me to get on with what God wants me to do when we submit we're submitting to a whole life in Christ and we're not submitting to cultural expectations there's a whole thing that gets tied up in Christian marriage and it really is rubbish well the woman cooks and cleans and looks after the children do you know what that is that is a cultural expectation That is a cultural issue. That is not God's word. The two things are quite different. I rejoice that I have four amazing son-in-laws who cook, who clean, who hoover, who change nappies, who are hands-on with all their children. those kind of stereotypes are much more about wider societal imbalances in the roles of men and women. In running a home, there are lots of things to be done, both outside the home earning money and inside the home. And there will be times when the husband, and it's happened in our marriage, the husband has to stay at home and the wife has to go out to work. All sorts of different reasons for that. But again, that does not diminish him and it does not elevate the wife to an erroneous position of headship. couple of final points. Submission is not about your intrinsic worth as a woman. It's about... Um, a role within a relationship we are all equal before the throne of grace we all stand by grace alone saved redeemed but there needs to be good order and submission is about good order There's lots of things I could say, but I think the final thing I want to say is I really, um, a lot of my prayer times when I was younger and still now, but as we were establishing our marriage and establishing what it meant to have this whole kind of headship submission, I would pray that Louis would hear God. Because I needed him to hear God on our behalf. I needed him to hear God. And that would be my prayer. And God was very merciful. A couple of little incidences. Um, when uh, I had just three little ones, my mother died. I was really quite grief-stricken. Um, and Louis suddenly said, these lovely people in Germany have invited us to use their holiday home to go on holiday. Do you know what? I said, I'm not going. I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to go to Germany for a holiday. Well, well what's, what's there? I, I just couldn't deal with it. I didn't want it. I didn't, I didn't want to be told where to go on holiday And he was so firm, and he said, that is where we're going. And we went, and it was the start of 12 years of the most wonderful family holidays in the Black Forest of Germany. But I had to submit, and he really had to say it as it was. And uh, another time more recently is when we were leaving St. John's Park, living in St. John's Park, um, Louis knew we had to move for all sorts of different reasons and I was just oh we've been here 25 years and all my memories are here and this is really too difficult and we can't move yet and I'm not ready to move yet I am not ready to move yet and uh, yet in principle we knew we had to move and so I suddenly had to go to Scotland <coughs> daughter in university was really really sick and I left, I didn't even come home, I got a call, I left straight from work, King's Cross, up to St. Andrews, came back three days later, there was a for sale notice outside the door. (laughs) I said, you've put the house on the market, what happened? He said, it's time to put the house on the market. Right, so it is what could I say? He was right. He was right. I will finish. I'm sure I'm over time. And I will hand over to my lovely husband.
2: Has it really been 43 years, Victoria? <laughs> Feels like yesterday when I hear you talk. So much talk about love and submission. And, uh, and I have to keep remembering that really Paul writing to the Ephesians was writing to people who weren't underwriting the morality and the, the behaviors of that society in which the Ephesians were living, he, he, they were people who wanted to challenge that society. And our call really is not just to underwrite whatever's happening uh, in, around us, what people think about love and morality and all the rest of it, but to challenge it with a, a better version, a Christian perspective on living together, living as a community, living as parents and children, living as husband and wife. And so Victoria has been talking about submission, and my job now is to talk about love, and as particularly how to love your wife. Now, this is by no means intended to be some sort of manual, instruction manual on how to do it. I, I'm a learner, like every husband. I I've, I've still have a long way to go. I often get it wrong. and um, But I'm committed to trying to do it God's way, doing it in the way that the Bible has set out. And that's what I want to share with you. It's my commitment, my love for my wife, which I wanted to be ha- have a biblical uh, perspective on, on her, on us, on our, our family, and so on. And as I started thinking about submission and love, and I'm supposed to talk about love, I found that defining submission and love really becomes very difficult. It becomes difficult when you See it biblically to distinguish between biblical love and biblical submission. As Victoria says, we're called to submit to one another. And just think about this. Love and submission are different words. But if you explain what does submission mean, in scriptural terms, it means to give oneself up for somebody else, just as Jesus gave himself up for his church. And then what what does love mean? Well, it's the unselfish total self-giving which is founded again on Jesus' sacrifice. It's at the heart of the Christian faith that we learn how to relate to each other in a way that models in some way reflects the immense love that Jesus poured out for us, selfless love, undeserved love, really. Now, you may have noted, I hope you noted, that there are many more verses or many more words in this passage about the husband's love than about the wife's submission, and I found that very consoling. Um, and I hope that you've also noticed that uh, many of the demands that are made upon the husband make it impossible to accuse the Bible of chauvinism, and uh, there's nothing there in that scripture or in any other scripture about husbands and wives that kind of mandates, gives us a right to abuse or to exploit our wives or any other woman for that matter. Wives are asked to submit to their husbands but husbands are asked to lay down their lives for their wives in the same way as Jesus laid down his life for his church for all of us. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us so husbands must be ready to make the ultimate sacrifice for their wives. Marriage involves sacrifice almost by definition because those of us who are married, there is a sacrifice involved in giving up the independent I for the interdependent we. Submission is not an easy aspect for the, of marriage for the wife and sacrifice equally is not an easy aspect of life for the husband. What we see here is that Jesus and his church are the model for the husband-wife relationship. Victoria has already said that. The instructions the Apostle Paul gives to husbands and wives uh, uh, reflect the heavenly bridegroom and bride model, uh, and that is supposed to be reflected in every husband-wife relationship on earth. As a husband, if I, if I ask how should I behave towards my wife, the Bible's answer is, look to Christ, the divine bridegroom, and his relationship to the church, which is love her, sacrifice for her, listen to her concerns, take care of her, be sensitive to her needs and her hurts, and be as sensitive to these things as you are to the hurts and needs of your own body. The other side of the coin is if a wife asks, well, how should I behave towards my husband? The Bible's answer is, look look to the chosen bride, look to the church and its relationship to Jesus. Respect him. Acknowledge him. Let him be the head of the family. Respond to his leadership. Listen to him. Praise him. Be unified in purpose and will with him and be his true helper that's the that it goes back to genesis the woman was the helper of the man but in exercising headship over his wife the husband is carrying out his god-given responsibility reflecting jesus headship over the church and his care for the whole of humanity The sacrifice the husband is asked to make under Christ uh, has two purposes. The sacrifices we make, first of all, illustrate the depth of love that we have for our wives. And secondly, they encourage our wives to be holy and to grow in their own relationship with the Lord. When someone sacrifices something for another person, It reflects, in a tiny way, as I've already said, the depth of love that Jesus has for that He's demonstrated for uh, on the cross when He died for us. We husbands can say as long as we like that we love our wives, but the reality of love has to be shown in action. Some of us here this evening uh, may have been very may not have been very sacrificial in our relationship with our wives. Maybe our marriage has been struggling. Maybe we find life really tough. Maybe some of us, one of us, is thinking, well, you have no idea what my home life is like. If you knew the way that my wife treated me, I don't think that I I could make many sacrifices for her. Well, just think. Jesus didn't wait until we deserved his sacrificial love. He died for us. while we were still unrepentant sinners. And if we want our marriages to get better, we may have to be ready to make certain sacrifices to help our wives to be the women uh, that God wants them to be. In practical terms, that may mean that uh, you can't play golf, or you shouldn't play golf every single Saturday morning, or spend every single Saturday afternoon watching a sport. Instead, maybe... Um, do something companionable with your wife once in a while. Do some gardening with her, for instance, or go take her for a long walk, or dare I say it, go shopping with her with a good frame of mind. (laughs) It's when your wife knows that she is so important to you that you're prepared to give up something that you're passionate about, something else, whatever it is. That makes it easy for her. To love you and to follow you. And in our own faith walk, if you think about whether we're married or not, it's Jesus' love, unconditional love for us, that helps us to continue following him when through all the ups and downs of life, even sometimes when we don't feel like it. But we married men should not skip over the all-important second part of verse uh, twenty-eight, which says that sacrificing for our wives is also sacrificing for ourselves. The verse reads, "He who loves his wife loves himself. In marriage, we become one flesh." This means that whatever happens to her actually happens to us as well. It's no matter. It's not a not a matter of never playing golf. on a Saturday morning or never watching sport in the afternoon that's really not what we're talking about we're talking about the willingness to sacrifice something in order to reap the benefits ultimately ourselves both spiritually and, and in other ways But what I really, really want to focus on, which all of this has been a preamble, are the words in verses 25-27 that sound so strange, sounded very odd to me when I first heard them. They're strange to modern ears. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her by washing her with water uh, through the word and to present present her to himself as a radiant church as a radiant church, without stain and wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What is Paul talking about? My first reaction to these verses was to think, well, Victoria is in many ways a much holier person than I am, so how can I make her holy? And the language is odd because it is written to first-century believers Who had an understanding of the Old Testament sacrificial system, where God required lambs to be offered to the altar that were unblemished and free of imperfections, and they had to be washed and cleaned in a certain way. These Ephesians also understood, however, that under the new dispensation, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was the perfect, once and for all, sacrifice for the sins of the world, And, and that made animal sacrifices, of course, redundant. And now, those who seek to follow Jesus' example, his example of love and his example of of submission, um, are washed clean by living, reading and studying and living by the word of God. Here, Paul is applying it to husbands in helping their wives to be holy, washing her with the word of God. And as I puzzled over this, I, I found that There were seven ways that I could think of immediately, um, in which a husband can help to make his wife holy. I shall share them with you now. They are first of all to give her the Word of God. Secondly, to give her space, make space for her to for her own life with God, her own devotions. Thirdly, pray with her. Fourthly. Talk to her about what God is saying to you, what he's doing in our lives. Fifthly, honoring her before others. Sixth, helping her to develop her own gifts and talents. And seventhly, leading her by example. I want to say a few words about each of these with direct relevance to our own own relationship, our own marriage and our family. When Victoria and I were married 43 years ago, we did not know the lord then as we know him later knew him got to know him later in our lives we not made that personal commitment to jesus however i felt that it would be a good idea to give her a bible on our wedding day and i remember writing inside i didn't don't even know what i meant at that time really profoundly at the deepest level but i wrote inside i hope that this book will encourage and comfort and guide us throughout our life married life love louis on our wedding day and we left it at that. But through the years, as we grew together and grew together in knowing Jesus, we have always tried to share. I have always tried to share with her whatever Scripture uh, was speaking to me on any in any given day, and she, in return, of course, would would echo that and would inspire me and strengthen me by sharing Bible verses that have touched her. Secondly, giving Victoria, giving our wives space for their own devotions. It was only after we'd been married for some time that we made our personal commitment to Christ, as I've already said. At that time, I came to understand that I needed to help Victoria to set aside time for her own Bible study. And for several years, that meant fielding some very small, noisy, and uh, sometimes unpleasant children early in the morning so that she could have her quiet time, and that became a routine, just getting up, getting the children out of the way, and letting her just have a time to pray. Thirdly, praying with her. Now, you know, it's amazing that people who have a close relationship can find it very, very difficult to actually pray together. I could pray by myself. I could pray in church. I could pray with another man, in a men's group, whatever. I could even pray in a small group but praying with your wife is really difficult it was difficult for me I don't know if that's been anybody else's experience but for me and for her it was really difficult and for a long time as far as we got was just to say the Lord's Prayer together in the morning and not and it took us some long time I don't know how long months maybe years before we could actually pray freely and openly together and come before the Lord together as husband and wife as the children came along I took the initiative in praying over them when they were asleep. Sometimes I came home from work and they were already asleep. And then praying with them at breakfast time. We had a little routine that we always said thanks for the new day. And we set them off to school with a prayer. And over many years, Victoria and I have used a a little prayer scripture book uh, produced by the Moravian Church which gives us a couple of, a verse from the Old Testament, a verse from the New Testament, a little meditation for each day, just very short, and that's really helped us at times when we were just busy and had very little time for anything else. I'm more of a morning person than Victoria is, so um, this morning Matt shared how he makes her a cup of tea every morning. Well, I've been doing that for some years too, and I think that um, I can't tell you how many times in the morning we've been blessed by just waking up and reading Scripture together. The fourth point is how to, you know, talk to her about what God is doing in our lives. We can actually go for weeks and talk about all kinds of stuff without saying, what is God actually saying to us? And so I have always talked to Victoria about what God, I think God is teaching us through his word, through the day-by-day experiences, through encounters with other people, through conversations, but more importantly... When I go through a very hard time, and I often have dry periods when I find it difficult to pray, difficult to read the Bible, and then she reverses the process and she tells me how God is speaking to her through our circumstances. And that's been an endless source of strengthening for me. It's been God's provision in my own spiritual life. Fifth, and maybe most painful, is honor her before others. Um, One of our daughters remarked this week, and I'd I'd completely forgotten about this, that when they were children at home, I often used to praise Victoria and honor mummy before the children. And she reminded me that from time to time I would talk about Victoria and read that famous passage from Proverbs 31 about the the wife of noble character, and I would try and match Victoria to that, uh, that passage in some way. But the other side of that particular honoring your wife thing is don't dishonor her. Uh, I had, for many years, I had a real tendency to tell negative jokes, negative humor, uh, little jokes at Victoria's expense, which I thought were hilariously funny and would raise a laugh. And it took me a while to realize that all negative humor, particularly directed at your life partner, it's a little joke about some funny foible or thick quirk she's got. That can really be hurtful and ultimately negative humor can undermine that love that should be there between the two of us. She needs to know that I build her up in front of others including the children and I need to know that she does the same for me. Sixth, encourage her in her gifts. Now this is a really tough one because, you know, it can be difficult for us men with our big egos and our desire to be up front, to realize that there are areas of life where our wives are just more competent than we are. And Victoria is much more competent than I am in several areas of life. Um, And I've learned a simple lesson that headship is not always the same thing as leadership. I can be her head, but she can lead in certain situations. We operate situational leadership in our home. There are certain things where she's really competent, and I wouldn't dream of, i just have to step back and let her get on with it. And other times when, really, I feel competent, I'm able to do it. But I'm still the head of the family, and I need to exercise that headship by freeing her to shine. Now, that is, uh, uh, all Christian leaders can learn from that, that they sometimes we just have to get out of the way to let other people, others for whom we care and for over whom we are the head, actually shine and use their gifts and and speak and sing and do whatever. And thank God we're in a church where that exactly that happens. That we, there's an awful lot of releasing of gifts in a community like ours, for which I'm profoundly grateful to to the church and to, to the Lord, of course. And seventh, lead her by example. In this morning's sermon on the same verses, Matt Baker talked about how women are often thought to and often considered to be the spiritual ones, even in church. And somehow all that religious stuff is is down to the woman. But it's up to us husbands and up to us older men and more mature, not just old, but more mature and Lord men to actually lead by example. Let our wives... And our children, and our nephews, and our nieces, and all the friends that we, the young people that are around us see us actually reading the Word of God and living it, trying to pray, seeing us pray, seeing us praying for them and with them, asking them what we can pray for for them, and leading by example in in small groups. Let us not the women be the faithful, faithful ones that turn up at small group. You know, the men should be faithful in coming to church when the church comes together to pray and when we get together to, in small groups and in other groupings where we pray together and share God's life together. The men should be taking the lead and that will make the women take the lead. They, they, they will be so encouraged and strengthened by the fact that they see us doing that. Well, before handing over to Victoria, I just want to close with something. I've sort of had, had my say now, but I'd like to close with some verses... From, it's verses from Philippians chapter 2, the opening verses, and they just, just inspire me. They kind of wrap up everything that I've been trying to, what I feel about all this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The greatest privilege that we have in the world is to look and care for other people under the headship of Christ. And for us husbands, that great privilege is to care for and love our wives as Jesus would have them love us, them and as he himself loves all of us.
1: (coughs) Louis doesn't actually know I'm going to say this bit. The wife must respect her husband. That's the final (coughs) piece of these. So I want a couple of concluding comments. We're not as young as we were. We now face different challenges. But in it all, I think the decision for Louis and for me to submit to God's purposes and his will is the gift that is going to take us through the rest of our married life, times of arguments, a lot of lack of clarity over the next few years. But that is what marriage is about. It is submitting to one another under God in love. And the final thing is, I do want to honor my husband. One of the greatest gifts of love that Louis has actually given me is the way he has shown godly love to our four daughters. Now, some of you may be aware that Louis grew up with very, actually non-existent fathering. And it became very clear to me in our marriage that it was his relationship with God our Father. And I say this to those of you men, actually, who have perhaps not been fathered as well as you think you might have been, that your Father God can give you the gifts of fathering and the gifts of loving as a father. And um, the love that he has shown, a houseful of sometimes five quite difficult women, <laughs> and done it with absolute leadership in different ways is the thing that I'm so grateful for. And he set the expectations with all four of our daughters for what it is to be loved by a godly man pretty high. And I am just grateful to the Lord that I now have four amazing son-in-laws. But I do just want to say that God can take a fatherless man and make him into a father.